great American West, and we are in Casper, Wyoming, for two solid hours of Pro Wrestling's number one weekly television program, Monday Nitro, here on TNT. Hi, everyone. From the great American West, we welcome you to Nitro. Tony Schiavone, along with living legend, Larry Zabisco. This has to be considered a very dark day in the annals of World Championship Wrestling. Two days removed from Hulk Hogan becoming the WCW World Heavyweight Champion. Two days removed from Hulk Hogan desecrating the prestigious gold belt that's been the symbol of World Championship Wrestling for many, many years. Later on in this telecast, we will show you the footage, the startling, revealing footage of what happened at Hogwild and Sturgis this past Saturday, Larry. Well, as you can tell by my uh, choice of garb tonight, it reflects the mood. It is a dark day in WCW. I am extremely disappointed in the athletes, in the Dungeon of Doom, in the Four Horsemen. When Hall and Nash, when they hit the ring against the Giant, where was the so-called brotherhood of WCW that was going to stand up against the New World Odor? Where was Sting and Lex Luger? Sting and Lex Luger, and we want to show you some of what went down. Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 years of Nitro. Our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, as always, is my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. Dave, how are you doing on this Super Bowl Sunday? I'm doing good. I just got I just got here, and it's really, really cold outside. It's so goddamn cold outside. Yeah, so my, my toes are still uh, just thawing out a little bit. But, um, yeah, I'm excited. for I, I'm indoors, and WCW's will be back indoors for this <laughs> show. I'm sure they're happy about that. And I'm sure they're happy that I don't think anyone uh, perished when they were at Hogwild. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll count that pay-per-view as a success in that aspect. <laughs> Well, as I mentioned, it is Super Bowl Sunday. Dave and I, being the embittered Vikings fans we are, we opted instead of watching the game, uh, we're, we're pulling a recording session. We're recording back-to-back. We're going to record uh, this Nitro, which was the post-Hog Wild 96 episode, as well as the Clash of the Champions 33, which aired on Nitro, or excuse me, aired on TBS uh, a mere three days later. But before we get into tonight's Nitro, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. And of course, you can email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Today is August 12, 1996, and we are coming to you live from the Casper Events Center in Casper, Wyoming, uh, which I repeatedly called Cody, Wyoming in our Hogwild episode. I kept talking about how they were going to be in Cody. Uh, my sincere apologies to the wonderful citizens of Casper. Yeah, I remember I was confused about that because um, did you refer to it wrong during your interview as well? Uh, maybe. I might have. I don't know. Did we really talk about your interview on the on a regular We have episode? not on the podcast. No, not you and I. Okay. And that was and that's with uh, former WCW producer Neil Pruitt. Yeah, so um, I did want to bring it up because I thought it was a really great interview. Oh, well, thank um, you very much. I it just for starters, uh, Tim did give me the op, op, option to interview him as well, but I thought that it would just would work a little bit better and not have like kind of a third wheel sort of aspect if if uh, Tim and Pruitt just kind of had a conversation, and it worked really well. I mean, especially since, um, you know, 
I think that if I was there, I probably would have been more like, can you just tell me stories about how Sting <laughs> was backstage? <laughs> I was really tempted to do that. I was so close to, uh, even after the interview was done, to say, um, you know, hey, now that we're not recording, could you kind of give me the lowdown on Bobby Heenan on this Hog Wild show? Was he? Was everyone talking about him hitting the sauce or what? Oh, sure. And I just thought, you know, this guy knew Bobby for years, mm-hmm. uh, probably considered him a friend, uh, maybe considered him a friend, I shouldn't presume to know. And it just was like, I, I felt like I'd be such a, uh, uh, to use a derogatory term, I'd be such a mark if I were to ask those kinds of questions. Yeah. So I tried to approach it. I was like, okay, what would Bob Costas wouldn't ask that? Be Bob <laughs> Costas. And then I gave myself pink eye. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. But no, there was a lot of aspects of uh, the behind the scenes with production, everything like that. I learned a lot of just interesting things. Like when, what really stuck out to me was when Pruitt first showed up, and he was talking about the video collection um, for Saturday night. Oh, sure, yeah. And how it was a mess, and just the fact that he sorted it out and organized it, and everyone's mind was blown. Yeah, basically. yeah. So it, it just you got this impression that their production was basically like whomever was available right that he started as like an audio guy and became Mm. like this you know producer producing segments and backstage and and uh, all these you know pre-tape things is kind of fascinating the way he worked his way up because it was uh you know in chaos some people thrive and some people get ahead and and he certainly seemed to be one of those people yeah so um not not to uh go on about this too long but i i just want to say if you're a person that's been watching or listening to these episodes and you haven't sat down to listen to that one yet I really recommend it. It's really good. And the, and the audio quality for an interview is really, really good because, like you mentioned, that Pruitt uh, recorded on his end, too. So it sounds like the, the two are just in the same room talking. Yeah, that it's was high was, quality. It was such a nice thing of him to do. He uh, we didn't even talk about it. He just at the end was like, hey, I recorded on my end. Would you like me to send you that raw audio mm-hmm. so you can put them together? And it I mean, it really made a huge difference. Otherwise, it basically would have sounded like you were listening to you know, a, a call in on a sports radio thing where he's like on the phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was just a huge thing. And again, a, a sincere thanks to Neil Pruitt. I thought that was just so cool of him to come on. Uh, and he also said that I could feel free to email him in the future if we had specific questions on things mm-hmm. that we see in these Nitro shows that we kind of want to know uh, what the production of them was like. So I don't want to abuse that. I want to keep it spare. Uh, but I, I already have a couple ideas of things in the future that I definitely want to ask him about when we get there. Yeah. And, and it seems like from the the, the kind of small uh, Twitter community that you you've been growing, it's like it seems like there might be potential for other people you could interview. I feel like I could get Dave Penzer. I've tried. I asked him mm-hmm. one time. He no sold me, uh, but he has. You know, he he follows me. He's responded a couple times. I think I might be able to to talk him into it. I'm just trying to work up to the right time. Yeah, uh, to to get him on the show because I think he would have another. It'd be you know like a, a producer. It'd be kind of interesting to hear from somebody who uh, is sort of on you know, and you can uh, hear from him on on his uh, sitting ringside with Dave Penzer. He's got his own podcast, mm-hmm. uh, but I think there'd be some specific things we could ask about that would be a lot of fun. So hopefully, hopefully someday we can get uh, Dave Penzer that, to sit down with us. Yeah, that was exactly the person I was thinking about. So well, tonight WCW is performing in front of six thousand four hundred and eight fans. 4,220 of whom paid for a total gate of $51,930, which is a very impressive figure for a town of a population in 1996 of just under 50,000 people. This is a small town, and they came out in droves Mm -hmm. to see Monday Nitro. 
And I would just like to note yet again, um, the intro still has Red and Yellow Hulk Hogan. Sure does. And Blonde Sting. <laughs> well, this is episode 48 of WCW Monday Nitro. As we mentioned before, this is the uh, it's the show after Hog Wild. Now, it's uh, unlike most pay-per-views where you get them the night after, this is two nights after, as Hog Wild was, of course, a Saturday pay-per-view, mm-hmm. something that will confuse Lex Luger uh, as we go forward. We'll talk about <laughs> it in a little bit. Nice. Uh, now, as the show opens, we get some pyro, and Tony Schiavone and Larry Zbysko welcome us to either the Great American West or the middle of nowhere, depending on which one of them you want to side with. <laughs> Shivani is wearing a bizarre shirt that I don't even want to attempt to describe other than to say it's the only shirt I've ever seen where half, like, uh, right in the back, it changes colors. It's green on one side of the color. It's gray on the other side of the color. Mm-hmm. I've never seen that before. The sleeves are different colors. It's absolutely bizarre. You can see it on my Twitter feed. If you look back, I tweet about it on January 16th. I'm giving the date because by the time you hear this, it'll that was obviously a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But go back on my timeline, January 20- 16th. I tried to ask Tony if he still owned it. Uh, again, he no-sold me. He didn't want to talk about that shirt. Yeah. <laughs> but Larry, uh, by contrast, is looking very classy in a black banded collar button-up shirt under a black sport coat. Tony calls it a dark day in WCW as we are two days removed from Hulk Hogan winning the world heavyweight title and desecrating the belt. Larry says that he is wearing the aforementioned black outfit to reflect the mood in WCW right now. Larry makes a pretty good point when he says that he's disappointed in the WCW locker room for not intervening when Hall and Nash got involved in the title match at Hog Wild. We get some stills from the Outsiders versus Sting and Luger, and Tony talks about the controversy with Nick Patrick. Did he accidentally collide with Lex, or was it malicious? Tony now describes the count in that fast as, obviously a very quick count (laughs) so it's like okay so i guess we are going with the idea that that was definitely a fast count even though it wasn't (laughs) just sort of in in kayfabe where it is now Mm -hmm. but he says that patrick may have been hurt and just not performing his best larry however says that he's not sure if the count was fast so i guess there's some disagreement over it but it's still a lingering feeling of quote controversy Tonight, we'll see Ric Flair defend his U.S. title against Randy Savage and Arn Anderson versus the Giant. Tony promises two other title matches in addition to the Flair match as we go to Dave Penzer for the first match of the evening. We start off with eight-man tag action as High Voltage come out with their partners rough and ready. Oddly, they don't come out to either team's theme music, but instead total silence, which is strange. (laughs) Rough and ready are also now without a manager, having dumped Colonel Robert Parker due to due to his relationship with Sherry and his preferential treatment of his other clients, Harlem Heat. The ominous music of the Dungeon of Doom hits, and the team of Kevin Sullivan, Meng, the Barbarian, and Hugh Morris make their way to the ring. For as long as we've been watching Sullivan, he's worn red and yellow tights, and usually comes to the ring in like a red and yellow robe, uh, kind of because he was supposed to be like the inverse of Hulkamania, he was the evil side of Hulkamania. Yeah. Uh, now that Hogan is a heel, Sullivan has ditched that look for the very evil ring gear of cowboy boots, jeans, and a t-shirt that has the sleeves cut into strips and has a spooky skeleton design on it. <laughs> and, and it's a very noteworthy shirt because he wears the same one. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I was like, oh, did he just forget his ring gear or something? But no, he. this is his ring gear at least into the next show. Right. So this was a conscious choice of this is what I wear now to the ring. Yeah. It's definitely less a uh, force of like demonic evil than your dad who works down at the gas station or something. Right. No, my when I first saw it that he was dressed like that, I assumed it was like he's technically part of the match, but he's not going to wrestle. 
that yeah. sort of thing where he's like, uh, no, I'm just not going to participate. But no, that's just what he's wrestling in now. The dungeon team is accompanied by not only Jimmy Hart, but also Big Bubba, who comes out sipping what appears to be water from a plastic cup. He makes a big show of it, too. <laughs> right as the match starts, with Kenny Chaos and Hugh Morris in the room, Bubba tosses the water all over Chaos, hence making a big deal of it. He wanted to make sure we saw what he was about to do. Oh, uh, okay. Kenny goes to attack Bubba, and Morris seizes upon the distraction to attack Chaos with strikes and a clothesline. He whips Chaos into a corner and goes for a charge, but Kenny avoids it, and in comes Robbie Rage. He's not tagged in, he just comes in, and that happens constantly in the short match, so let's just kind of get... It's just lucha rules in this one, yeah. for whatever reason. High Voltage, in tandem, whip Morris off the ropes and give him double-flying shoulder tackle. Meg and the Barbarian come in and attack High Voltage, as Randy Anderson barely tries to do anything about it, and they get a double-back body drop on Rage, and now Rough and Ready both jump in. Things settle down with Dick Slater and the Barbarian in the ring, so... Okay, I guess they're the legal men now. Slater stays in control for all of five seconds before tagging in Enos, so clearly they do know how tagging is supposed to work. <laughs> Enos goes for a hip toss, but Barbarian blocks it, so Enos hits a flying clothesline. Barbarian is right back on his feet, and he reverses an Irish whip attempt by Enos and catches Mike with a big boot. Although I've written down big book, I don't know. Hits Maybe Moby Dick or <laughs> War and Peace? He snuck in his tights? I want to try reading for <laughs> once. <laughs> Meanwhile, Tony says that we will see footage of Hogwild later, but also we can call our cable companies and buy the replay to witness, quote, the lowest point in the history of our sport. Way to sell that replay, Tony. <laughs> I really want to watch the low point in wrestling history. Also, this is like whatever pay-per-view in a row in which the next show is all about, like, when are we going to see the footage? Right, yes. They love that. Barbarian tries to rip him, but it's broken up by Slater. That pisses off Meng, so he comes in and marches across the ring to attack Slater in the corner. High Voltage are standing right there, but seem nonplussed and don't get involved. Enos manages to tag in Rage, who is immediately scooped up by Barbarian and set up in the Tree of Woe. Barbarian tags in Sullivan, who charges hip-first into Robbie Rage. Sullivan runs to the corner of the... Heels? He heals, right? I, I don't know in this match. Uh, the opposing team. Yeah. And attacks Slater, Enos, and Chaos. A full-on Donnybrook starts with the Faces of Fear fighting Rough and Ready and High Voltage fighting with Hugh Morris and the Taskmaster, for some reason, just waiting in his corner holding the tag rope politely. <laughs> it's an eight-man match and seven guys are fighting in the ring and the Taskmaster is just standing there waiting for a hot tag. It's <laughs> so weird. Eventually, the others clear out, leaving Meng and Rage in the ring. Meng whips Rage into the corner, but Rage jumps to the top rope and goes for a flying crossbody, but Meng barely even needs to dodge as Rage just sails over him like by like a foot and a half. <laughs> Meng hits the Mafia kick and pins Rage 1-2-3 as all three of Rage's teammates sit and watch. Nobody in the short match of about three minutes gives a shit about logic and psychology, but it was all action from start to finish, and I actually didn't mind it. Uh, if you just kind of forget that like tagging is supposed to be a rule, yeah. it was just a bunch of you know goofy characters and some big dudes coming in and hitting a bunch of high action moves. And I don't know. I thought it was an okay opener. The crowd was into it. What do you think? I think that I do think that tag team match, or if it's more than a tag team match, like a six man or eight man tag, mm -hmm. that should be lucha rules. Agree. I like lucha rules. Um, this match, I mean, I was kind of just focused on what Kevin Sullivan was wearing, so I don't really, I wasn't really paying attention. Right. And then I also made the note that Larry Zabisco at some point went back to his uh, Samoans are descendants of cannibals. Oh yes, he sort did. of thing. Yep. So he mentioned that. 
But other than that, I don't really recall much of this match. <laughs> yeah, it's just sort of there because the Dungeon of Doom are always going to slip on the banana peel and lose the baby faces mm-hmm. um, when they're baby faces of any importance. But in order to kind of keep them a little relevant, they have to pick up wins occasionally. Right. So this was just a chance to get them out there, throw a few faces that technically are names, are named guys, mm-hmm. and have the Dungeon of Doom beat him in three minutes and just kind of remind you that the Dungeon of Doom doesn't just lose all the time. Right. So in that case, mission accomplished. Absolutely. The Dungeon of Doom pose as Chaos checks on his partner. Rough and Ready are pissed at the loss, so they toss Chaos from the ring and beat on Robbie Rage for a bit. They head on out as Chaos once again checks on Robbie as we go to commercial. Now, this will be the last match on Nitro for Dick Slater. I think he has one more appearance, kind of managing Enos. Okay. Um, But he is going to suffer a back injury in a couple months and retire at the age of 45. So I quickly wanted to tell the story of the time Dick Slater got shot. Oh, okay. Dick Slater, Wahoo McDaniel, Tommy Rich, and Andre the Giant were at a bar in Tampa, Florida, when Tommy Rich took offense to something another patron had said about Rich's wife. They argued for a bit and went outside to the parking lot where the man pulled a knife. So Wahoo McDaniel pulled a gun. <laughs> As Andre and Dick Slater watched, McDaniel tried to pistol whip the guy, but the gun went off and Slater was hit in the leg. Not wanting to get Wahoo in any trouble, Slater told the cops that it must have been a sniper. <laughs> <laughs> and a mere three weeks later, Slater returned to the ring for a tour of Japan. <laughs> so I just wanted to share that story because I probably won't have another opportunity and that's amazing <laughs> Dick Slater that's so old school wrestling <laughs> where part of it being old school wrestling is you have no idea if like a quarter of it is true <laughs> but that's a story I, anyway and I hope that the the bar was like in the middle of nowhere <laughs> so, so the sniper is yeah. like miles away yeah. it's like precision shot how would you get shot I don't know some sniper probably <laughs> that's the, the best not just a guy who wanted money and he ran away. No, no, no. It was a sniper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After a commercial, Tony Schiavone promotes the Clash of the Champions, airing live this Thursday on TBS. Now, we talked in our Hog Wild episode about how they really barely promoted this Clash of the Champions. Mm-hmm. So this is the one episode. Uh, you could look at this as the you know closing of storylines from Hog Wild and the beginning of the build of uh, Fall Brawl. But really what this is is the go-home show for Clash of the Champions. And because it's the only show mm-hmm. building Clash of the Champions, they've got a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, I I have to think that there was something about the scheduling that was a bit off because I wouldn't think that they would have planned this all in a row in a week. I imagine that the Clashes, since they're every six months, probably get planned out pretty far ahead of time. Yeah. And then it must have been when they decided that they were going to Sturgis and because that's an event and not a arena, right? you have to just go on whatever dates that biker rally is happening. Mm-hmm. So it was like, oh, this is when Sturgis is this year. Bischoff managed to convince Ted Turner, whatever vice president or whatever, has to sign off. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, shit, I guess we're doing both. Mm-hmm. And with the Nitro sandwich in between, uh, which is why, as we've mentioned before, they canceled those house shows that were supposed to be following the clash because... I mean, they're producing a lot of live television in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. Tony reminds us that the main event of the clash will be Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair, when suddenly Tony gets interrupted by Sting and Luger making their way unexpectedly down to ringside. We, we do understand that we are having some guests here at ringside at this time. 
Sting and Lex Luger are coming out. Well, let's find out where they were when Hall and Nash hit the scene All here. Right, let's give them a microphone. Here, Melinda, let me hand those to these two guys. Guys, uh, I obviously you got one, something you want to say. Go ahead. We hate to break the rules and bust in here, but we're sick and tired of following the rules. I'm not spending another sleepless night after what happened last night. Isn't that right, Stinger? How about a little challenge oh, yeah. here? As a matter of fact, that makes two of us that will not have one more sleepless night. Everybody's talking about a controversy that happened in Sturgis. We don't care about controversy. What we want to do is clear it up right here, right now. Wait a minute, you're making a challenge for right now? Oh, wait a minute. They want the, they're in the ring. Well, they're in the ring now, but where were they in Hog Wild when, they, we, when they, we needed them? They were in the ring at Hog Wild, Larry, against the Outsiders. And now, as you can see in the ring, and the fans are standing here, they want Hall, they want Nash, they want them right now. They got the microphone again. Well, at least that's the manly thing to do. They're calling them out. They want it tonight on Nitro. Hey, let's do it. I'm ready for it. Well, I'm ready for it. That's what happens Go when a time. If the NWO, if the NWO has any guts, they'll show up to the ring right here, right now. A challenge has been laid down. A challenge has been made by Sting and Lex Luger. There you see the fans, what they feel about it in the midst challenge has been made. The New World Order took its best shot at Hogwild. Let's see, but it was calculated. Let's see if they have the guts. This is, this is a manly thing. I'm proud of this. At least these two guys got the guts to come out and lay out the challenge. Uh, I don't smell the New World Order yet. Well, let's take a look and see if they're coming out. See if they will answer this challenge. Sting's got the microphone once again. Surprised. Well, neither am I. It comes as no surprise to me. You pick your spots, don't you? It's even two on two right now. Show up! Man, the only thing I can say, if they don't show up right now, we will continue to try to see if Go ahead and bring the baseball bats if you want. I still don't smell them coming out yet. Hopefully they will show up within the course of this program. And ladies and gentlemen, we will have more action live on Nitro. The challenge has been made. Come on back with us. Anything can happen live from Casper Wilder. They were so unexpected that Tony has a live mic that he's able to handle Lex Luger. <laughs> Lex says that they hate to break the rules and butt in, but they're sick and tired of following the rules. Lex says he had a sleepless night after what happened last night. Yeah. And since Hogwild was two nights ago, I wonder what personal problems he had Sunday evening. <laughs> Target was all out of baby oil. Someone didn't properly wipe down the squat rack of the gym. Tony wouldn't share where he bought that cool shirt. <laughs> Who knows? For some reason, Lex can't sleep. Sting takes the mic away and says they don't care about the controversy that happened at Sturgis, but they want to clear it up by facing the outsiders right here, right now. And that's an, I want to drive that home again. The only thing he says about the controversy in Nick Patrick is that he doesn't care about it. Mm -hmm. He just wants to face uh, Nash and Hall. So that's just going to make Nash and Hall's attitude about it all the more infuriating, uh, I think, from the side of the baby faces. Yeah. They get in the ring and get massive cheers from the crowd, but the outsiders don't show, so Sting gets on the mic once more. He says that if the NWO has any guts, they'll come down to the ring. 
This gets even more cheers, and Lex does some flexing, much to the delight of a young lady shown on camera, but still the outsiders are nowhere to be seen. Sting says this comes as no surprise to him. The NWO pick their spots. He says they can bring the baseball bats if they want, but still nothing, so Sting and Luger leave the ring as we go to a commercial. And wouldn't you know it, during that commercial, Dave, my blood ran cold. So cold. The second we're back from commercial, we're greeted by the Renegade coming out for his match against Diamond Dallas Page, who strangely has gotten the jobber entrance. Mm -hmm. If one of these two is getting the jobber entrance, I would not have picked DDP. Right. uh, At least, you know, at this point in their careers. Mm -hmm. When we've seen him recently, Renegade has been more of just a general beefcake than the Ultimate Warrior ripoff that he was conceived as. But once again here, he's shaking his head around as he walks to the ring. You know, he's, like, whipping his hair, but he's only committed to it with, like, 40% energy. (laughs) So it just, it comes across very half-assed. He's like a low-watt Ultimate Warrior. Yes. Larry says that he thinks that Sting and Luger were the victims of circumstance in their match at Hogwild, insisting that it looked like an accident, quote, from what I've seen of the stills. So wait a minute, Larry didn't watch Hogwild? (laughs) He had to wait to see the stills moments ago live (laughs) on Nitro for the first time? He's probably golfing. <laughs> anyway, here to call all of the action is our own living legend, Dave Amantorp. All right. So this is for the, uh, what is it, the non-prestigious? The non-prestigious non-title of Lord of the Rings. Yes. Although I, I'm not sure if they start it here, but I've noticed uh, over the next few weeks, they really start referring to it as the Battle Bowl Championship. It seems like mm-hmm. it. there might be a conscious decision to phase out Lord of the Ring, or Tony's just forgetting. I'm not sure. I would probably go with forgetting. <laughs> and uh, Renegade is looking to avenge his 53-second loss to DDP on Saturday before Hog Wild. So he has further motivation other than getting the non-prestigious non-championship. <laughs> So the crowd is really into this match early on as they boo DDP's antics, which DDP has plenty of. Oh, yes. Yes, he is replete with antics. <laughs> After said antics, he misses a clothesline in the corner, and Renegade hits him with an arm drag, which immediately surprised me that the <laughs> Renegade pulled off an arm drag. Uh, early stages in this match has the two exchanging headlocks and hammerlocks, and I was wondering, perhaps... Renegade is turning the corner when it comes to his in-ring technique. Oh, let's hope so. This is where the narrator voice says, he wasn't. (laughs) This is, I don't mean to get too morbid, but I find that I'm always cheering for Renegade because I know that his story (laughs) ends in suicide. And so there's this part of me that just really is pulling for him to like do good (laughs) and people to like him. If he wins this match, maybe he'll change (laughs) things. But again, not to get too morbid. <laughs> right. <laughs> we get back to more conventional Renegade offense as he drops DDP with a series of shoulder blocks, which Page milks for all they're worth. Um, DDP gains upper hand with a shortened version of his discus clothesline, which apparently gets a 10 out of 10 in his book. Backed in the corner, DDP hooks Renegade up for a diamond cutter, only to hit a snapmare for a two count. Seemed like kind of a missed opportunity there. He had him hooked up for the diamond cutter, but just did a snap. Yeah. Instead. Yes. That was, was strange. It was, it was weird because there was like a brief moment where it was like he maybe realized he wasn't supposed to hit a diamond cutter here. But right. Um, either way, a missed opportunity. A swinging net breaker only gets a two count. So DDP slaps on a reverse chin lock while the announcers say that the outsiders will respond to Sting and Luger's challenge after this yes. match. Yes. Yes. 
The match drags on as DDP uses the ropes for leverage with his reverse chin lock. You know, Wh- one thing I'll say, because you're correct for me, in my perspective, in saying it dragged on. Mm-hmm. I will say the people of Cody, Wyoming, were fucking into the Renegade and into this match. <laughs> They really were. They, I, I was, and it's a theme throughout the evening. Mm-hmm. They're, they're into this shit. They're right. They are into baby faces like the Renegade and later Joe Gomez in a way that probably no Nitro crowd was before mm-hmm. or will be afterward. <laughs> I, they are. I think they're just wrestling starved. Yeah, this is this is like the lightning in a bottle sort of moment. Yeah, because I don't think you know. I don't know if WCW has been here before. I doubt the WWF. They've probably never done a TV certainly from Cody Wyoming. Mm-hmm. So this is probably a big deal. I don't I don't mean to be patronizing, be like these small town yokels don't get much, but it's I've never heard of Cody Wyoming before. I think it probably was like cool, we've got a big show coming to our event center. Like they sold out and they they're really into the show. And it yeah. makes a huge difference in your perception of the show watching it. It makes a huge per- a difference when Renegade gets offense and people cheer. Mm-hmm. You're like, "Oh shit, look at that." Like yeah, I mean, go get it, Renegade. Yeah, I mean, atmosphere it is a major factor in like how a match plays out and how you feel about it. Right. You know, if the fans are into it, it just it seems like a better match. Right. Um, but anyway, for me, twenty some years later, <laughs> it's dragging on. Sure. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> As DDP uses the ropes for leverage on the reverse chin lock, which if you think about it, and you think about the physics, that probably doesn't really help out very much but I didn't care enough to look up the physics. (laughs) Nick Patrick tries to admonish DDP for possibly using the ropes, but Page was not paying attention. So Patrick just finger wags the back of Page's head instead. (laughs) Nick Patrick then goes for the hand drops, but Renegade stays in it at two and then begins to renegade up is what I wrote. Yes, and I don't mean to go for an easy joke, but when you said hand drops, I thought you said hand jobs at first. (laughs) He goes for a few hand drops. Nick Patrick Renegade, tries to sneak in a quick hand job. But Renegade is done after two. <laughs> uh, DDP hits the corner chest first, and a Renegade schoolboy almost gets a three count. We get clothesline city from Renegade, as Tony notes, not only did DDP lose his gum, but was clotheslined right onto said gum. Yes. Gross. Icky. <laughs> Way to pay attention to gross detail. Renegade goes for a suplex, but DDP flips out of it and reverses it all in one motion for a diamond cutter for the pinfall victory. This was actually, considering the matchup, was a lot better than I expected, and I really like the finish. This is yeah. We're starting to see a little bit more of DDP hitting the diamond cutter from different locations. Yes, and this was I feel like it was a pretty new one, and it just it was executed really well. So if we get a really good finish, it could kind of make up for if it kind of lags in the middle. So. Yeah, I I was probably a little bit harder on it, but um, all things considered, this this lived this was beyond expectations for me. I would absolutely agree with that assessment, and I think, like I've already kind of alluded to, that the crowd being into it goes a long way in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, we lose a little bit of the announcer's reaction as we have to hear DDP's network dub music, oh, uh, sure. so we kind of lose their comments. It just kind of goes into the shitty dub for a minute, but then we go backstage where the outsiders are on a couch talking to Hulk Hogan. Nash has on a No Fear t-shirt because 1996, and Hall has on a WCW t-shirt with WCW circled and a line drawn through it as if it's a no smoking sign. <laughs> I I posted it on Twitter because I thought it was a high quality t- <laughs> Since they don't have NWO merchandise yeah. yet, it's like, <laughs> that's the way to represent NWO so well, far. And Hogan is wearing 
the shirt that I think Ed Leslie wore to the ring at Hog Wild with the Terminator on it. And I'm not sure if that's official <laughs> gear where it's like a Terminator ripoff. And they I don't know if that's licensed gear or not. I should try to look into that. Um, but I noticed that Ed Leslie was wearing it at Hog Wild, and then Hulk Hogan's wearing it tonight, which means if it's not licensed gear, that he was just like, hey, brother, give me that, and that shirt you made. That's mine now. <laughs> I, I, I would like the storyline aspect that, like, we don't know where Ed Leslie is now. Yeah. He, he's disappeared. He's dead, I guess. He's disappeared for the last two days, and Hogan's wearing his clothes. <laughs> oh, man. You know, all of a sudden... Now they act like we're important, you know? Yeah, I can't believe the audacity that these guys have. I mean, we're on New World Order time right now. I mean, you can make all the challenges you want to, boys, but hey, we're in our gear, but we'll do this when we feel ready. I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. We beat them at Bash of the Beach in a six-man. We did what we say we do at Hog Wild. We beat them, and the main thing we accomplished, Hulkster took their belt you notice it's NWO belt now. Tell these two punks something. I heard some whining and crying about Nick Patrick. You guys blaming your loss on a referee. Senior. He's a fine referee. Don't blame it on him. official Nick Patrick. You lost. Fine referee. You lost at Hog Wild. And you want to fight us? You're going to get to later tonight. That's right, Joe. And you, you know, lose you again. Will. You know, I we disagree every once in a while, you know. It's okay. You don't have anything to prove, no. you know. And all of a sudden, you know, they didn't want to say anywhere around. Now they're calling me, calling my agent. They're banging on the door. I, I got tired of getting up and answering the door here a minute ago. It's the same old thing. Now they want their chance. Now they're ready. Well, you know, if you guys wanted to have a good workout or something like that, maybe you could have fun with those punks. But the thing is, the thing that really tears me up is they haven't figured out who the fourth and fifth guy are. I mean, we've given them all the hints. So Stay there. Yeah. Stay there. But what are they going to do? I mean, they're not even smart to figure this thing out. And uh, now, you know what? This belt, I don't even like the look of this belt. Thing's too heavy. It hurts my shoulder when I'm going through the airport. You know, we really need to talk about a design. You know, maybe our own belt. You know, we can melt, melt that down. They got, you got that buddy in Tampa, seven. right? Yeah. That buddy seven. in Tampa melt that down. First thing down. needs to go. First thing we need to get rid of is this thing. Yeah. Is that giant... <laughs> Cleaned his clock. He's a loser. And Sting and Luger, you losers too. You know? Punk. Can I, can I use your line, Hulkster? Go for it. What you gonna do when Hulkamania, the Outsiders, and the New World Order runs wild on you? You know, that line's okay, but it's not, not fitting the occasion because, I mean, you know, tonight... They want you guys to climb the ring. You got your gear on. You know, I was I was arguing with you about that earlier. You know, I was really you know I didn't want you guys to wrestle each other, and I, I definitely don't want to wrestle you guys. But to get back in the ring with Sting and Luger, I think the last few WCW fans might might just go ahead and disown them if you embarrass them again, which we will. Yeah. So maybe what you got to do is right. You know, I, I'm really confused now. I'm upset about this whole thing. Don't call us, we'll call you. Absolutely. Stick around, boys. Come right. at you. Now, this Herculon sits pretty nice, doesn't it? Might have to get one of these in the uh, house. Huh? Where's any of birthday, birthday cake left? Get that coffee I have, going. I have a booty man bring it in. <laughs> God. <laughs> hey, the Rust-Oleum doesn't come off either, boys. Love, love the shade. 
Nash and Hall are in no rush to do things on Sting and Luger's time frame. Hall says they beat them at Bash at the Beach and they beat them at Hogwild and Hulkster took their belt. Hall says he's heard whining and crying about Nick Patrick and runs down Sting and Luger for blaming the loss on the referee. Something Sting and Lex definitely did not do. Right. But that's great heel heat. Yeah. The, the baby faces are like, hey, look, we don't care about the ref. We just want a chance to, you know, face you guys again tonight. And they're like, oh, look at you guys crying about the ref. Right. That would just piss me off so much if I were Sting and Luger, mm-hmm. which is exactly what your heels should do. Well, it's like, um, it's like when like a team loses a game and they're being a good sport about yeah. it, but you just remind them, it's like, oh, yeah, these are the guys that lost, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just bring it up, like, no, we were good sports. <laughs> oh, are you getting angry now? It's, uh, I heard, I forget where I heard, some podcast or interview or something, where somebody was describing uh, Hall and Nash as their, like, style of being heels as as trolling. Like, we didn't really have the word at that point yet. The, in, the internet was still kind of in its latency. Oh, sure. Um, but, like, their style, of, it's very much just trolling. It's just, like, mm-hmm. doing shit to, like, make themselves laugh and get under your skin and yeah. then be like, what? What? You yeah. know? Like, they're just dicks. Mm-hmm. Nash points out that Patrick is the senior official, a fine referee. <laughs> Hulk tells them that they don't have anything to prove and don't need to bother with Sting and Lex unless they want to work out or something. Hulk is also amused that nobody has figured out who the fourth and fifth guy are, and they kind of sort of act like the fourth and fifth guys are just off camera. Yeah. And they're, they barely, like, barely try. I'm not sure. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if they're just joking or if they're actually trying to pretend. I'm not really sure. Yeah. Hulk complains that the belt is too heavy and hurts his shoulder when he carries it through the airport. And Hall says the first thing they need to do is change the nameplate because the giant is a loser and Sting and Lex are Lugers, losers too. Sting and Lex are Lugers too. <laughs> Sting's like, I, I, I Wait a minute. <laughs> Nash asks, what you going to do when the NWO, Hulkamania, and the Outsiders run wild on you? Hulk wants the last line all for himself, though, so he rambles aimlessly, mm. just totally aimlessly, at one point saying that he doesn't want the outsiders to wrestle each other, and that certainly he doesn't want to wrestle them. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about, Hulk Hogan? <laughs> what does it have to do with anything? <laughs> then he says that if Nash and Hall beat Sting and Luger, again, the last WCW fans may disown the company. So maybe what you're going to do is correct, Hulk asks himself rhetorically, quote, I'm really confused about this right now, says Hogan, who might be loaded. (laughs) He confused himself by his own promo shortly after saying that he didn't want to fight his own stablemates, who he's in no way feuding with. I'm upset about this whole thing, says Hogan. Then they goof off for another 20 seconds about how comfortable the couch is, and the segment ends limply. Mm -hmm. This was officially, for me, the first time the NWO were not welcome on my television. Right. Where it started off okay, and then by the end it was like, holy shit, are these guys still fucking talking? Mm-hmm. And it's just this big jerk-off session and shitty jokes and Hogan just rambling because there's no one there to edit him or script him or say like, hey, Hulkster, I, we really got to keep to those 35 seconds we said you had. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, you know, this is, WCW is just a big buffet for these guys to take whatever they want from and this is the first time, and I know there will be many to come, but this is the first time where I was like, wow, I'm I'm sick of these guys. Get them off my TV, please. Yeah. No, and and I think it was like one of the clearest times of what you can see. There, there's there's a difference in in personality and delivery yes. between Hall and Ash and Hulk Hogan. Yes. Uh, Hulk Hogan is definitely 
someone that needs to go by the script. Yes. Whereas like Hall and Nash are best when they're just kind of going off the cuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. He yeah, when Hulk the longer he talks and especially when he's not screaming, when he's screaming he's actually better. When he's trying to just talk, it just becomes so rambly. Yeah. And the things he says have no connection to reality or current storylines or mm-hmm. anything. And he just really like like he said in his own promo, I'm just confused now. Yeah. Me too, Hogan. <laughs> right. Me too. <laughs> After that, Tony throws the commercial, and we get one that's complete with a Saturday night promo. The Horseman and Eight-Man Tag action, the Giant, and more! <laughs> oh, Eight-Man Tag. I just wonder who those <laughs> opponents are going to be. I'm, I'm just going to guess that one of them is Joe Gomez. <laughs> Jim Powers. Yeah. Uh, Alex Wright. Uh, all the beefcakes. Renegade. Ice Train. After break, in the ring are Conan and Jim Powers, who both got jobber entrances. I guess that's what happens when Hogan is allowed to just (laughs) ramble at will. Conan normally wears a lot of bright colors and stuff, but here he's opted for plain black trunks, though his boots are pink and a few other colors. But he has no tassels or any of that stuff that he's normally worn. So I guess this is part of that heel turn that he started uh, on Saturday night that we briefly touched on. Yep. He offers a hand to Powers, but then cheap shots him right in the face before hitting a series of weak-looking slap strikes and some knees. Uh, the knees are equally weak to be slaps. <laughs> Conan applies a wrist lock and turns it into sort of a modified abdominal stretch. Powers escapes and throws Conan to the ropes, but he telegraphs a back body drop so Conan leapfrogs him. Powers ducks a clothesline and levels Conan with one of his own. Tony preposterously claims that Powers has had great success in the short time he's been in WCW. And Dave... Trivia time. Uh-huh. Do you think that Jim Powers has had a televised victory since he joined the company a little over two months ago? Uh, no. He has exactly one televised victory. What? It was a disqualification win in an eight-man tag back on July 22nd when it was the Beefcakes that we were just talking about mm-hmm. versus the Dungeon of Doom. And the Giant came out and choke slammed all the Beefcakes. Oh. So the Beefcakes won by DQ. Uh, but they they won by being completely decimated yeah. <laughs> by the giant who has proved their physical superior in every way. <laughs> That's his only televised win. Yeah. And in fact, he only has one non-televised win in a dark match uh, before a worldwide taping over Hugh Morris back on July 7th. So he has two victories in the company, one of which was a disqualification that made him look like a child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Tony, Tony... God bless him, because he's not as bad as a lot of people make him out to be. But announcers need to have credibility. And I get that you're trying to sell this guy as a babyface, but talk about what a great athlete he is or his high-impact offense. When you say that he's had great success, if I'm a fan of your product, I know that you were lying to me. <laughs> and there's no reason for me to take the things you say seriously beyond that point. Yeah, that seems, that's like uh, his go-to like phrase to right. put someone over. is like, oh, he's had tremendous success. Yeah. You know. I I I feel like that he probably even says it really without thinking. Sure. And and you know he he has to have something positive to say. So yeah. And and since it's someone like Jim Powers, he doesn't know anything off the top of his head as far as his <laughs> success is concerned. So. See, this is why Jim Ross was always banging on about what college someone played football at, because it's like something to say that's true. Mm-hmm. That's not like lying to your viewers and right. saying like. Actually, the Funkasaurus is like one of our greatest superstars. You know, <laughs> was, it, was, was that the executive said about Glacier? Yeah, yes. <laughs> Powers gets a hip toss and a scoop slam, and add Jim Powers to the list of shit ass baby faces the wrestling star people of Cody, Wyoming, are willing to cheer for. Wow, that was a difficult sentence for me to get out. <laughs> you nailed it. 
He clotheslines Conan again, and the Mexican heavyweight champion takes a powder, leaning on a guardrail for a moment to recover as Randy Eller starts a 10 count. Conan returns to the apron and holds the top rope, so Powers does my fa- <laughs> my favorite thing in wrestling, where your opponent is standing on the opposite side of the ropes, like on the ring apron. Mm-hmm. So you pull the top rope, and somehow this causes him to flip over the top rope and land on his back into the ring. It's just physics. It's <laughs> <laughs> People once thought this was real. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Just, I mean, they've been doing monkey flips for <laughs> decades. Tony talks about Conan's recent change in attitude, which is my favorite kayfabe talk for a heel turn. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. So, one day somebody just changes attitude. Yeah. Tony says that Conan has said that because of Hulk Hogan turning his back on everyone, Conan has decided to do the same. Conan takes Powers to the mat and elicits boos from the crowd as he hits a dropkick on a seated Powers before locking on a submission hold on Jim Powers' leg. The crowd chants a USA chant, apparently not realizing that Conan moved to America when he was two years old and grew up in Boston and later Miami. It's a classic case of white guy versus very slightly less white guy. (laughs) Conan says Powers into the corner and then charges with a head of steam but meets a Powers boot to the face. Power slams Conan's head into the turnbuckle ten times as the crowd chants along. He levels Conan with a knee, followed by a dropkick. He throws Conan into the corner, but makes the same mistake Conan did only moments earlier and runs into Conan's boots. Conan leaps on him and uses the ropes for leverage for a 1-2-3 pin. Conan has certainly done a 360, claims Shivani, who must not realize that would put Conan back in a full circle to where he began. <laughs> Jim Powers protests to Randy Eller, but it's all for naught as we see replays while the crowd boos. Afterward, Gene Okerlund joins Conan in the ring. I thank you very much, Tony and Larry. Ladies and gentlemen, on Saturday night, I talked to this man, Conan, a great international champ. You, uh, I think, compared yourself to the great Hulk Hogan. And what I saw here, I think, is shades of Hulk Hogan, Conan. When you had your your body up on a rope to help you get the victory. Here's our camera, hey, buddy. We'll turn you around this way. Your opinion's irrelevant. Do you pay my checks? No, then shut up. Let me tell you something. Ever since I've been here. These people don't like you. I can't understand why. And why'd they pay a ticket to come and see me? You should be applauding. Let me tell you something, Mean Gene. Ever since the New World Odor came into town, They've been sinking up to join. They've been beating people up with bats, slamming car trunks on their head, throwing cruiserweights in the trailers head first. In Mexico, they say, whoever fails the plan, plans to fail. I got a foolproof, foolproof plan. Conan. Don't, don't pay attention, please, to these people. We've only got a limited amount of time. Conan is sticking behind WCW in this war against NWO. So look out, NWO! Thank you very much, Conan, making a statement. As you know, he is the current reigning Mexican heavyweight champ. He wants to... Arriba Mexico! Go along with a little solidarity, if you will, here at World Championship Wrestling. And I can see him bonding together, Tony and Larry. And hopefully we're going to have to see a lot more of that with so many things up in the air. We're live. We're in Casper, Wyoming. Stay tuned. Lock it in. More Nitro coming up after this. He asks Conan about the comparison to Hogan and gets Conan to face the correct camera. Mm-hmm. 
Conan says Gene's opinion is irrelevant. Unless Gene is the one paying him, he should shut up. Oh. Conan says that ever since the New World odor came to town, they've been making all kinds of trouble. And in Mexico, they say that whoever fails to plan, plans to fail. I don't doesn't really have anything to do with what he was talking about, but nice little phrase, I guess. Conan is totally blown up by his three and a half minute match and can barely get the words out between like gasps for breath. And he is sweating profusely. He, I mean, for having like a, a good body, he does not seem like he's in good cardio. I mean, I know he has asthma, so I don't mean to, you know, but he is a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. He just, I can't believe how sweaty and out of breath he is after a pretty short match. After a pretty short match that had, like, a few rest holds in it. But, you know, hey, good on you. Get that money. Conan says he's sticking with WCW in their war against the NWO. So look out, NWO. Talk about a promo that tries to do two completely different things at once. He's setting himself up as a heel. He's going after the crowd. Arriba, Mexico. You idiots paid, you know, for a ticket to see me. But also, I'm standing by WCW mm-hmm. in their feud against these rep scallions in the NWO. Yeah. But also, I like Hulk Hogan enough that when he turned heel, it made me want to turn heel. But also, I don't like him in his evil group. Right. It, yeah, he, he, he was inspired by the NWO to turn heel. And so he doesn't care what fans think, but he also doesn't want them to think that he's like with the NWO. <laughs> you're, you're right. It's like two different promos that he kind of had to put together. Yeah, and, and and that's not all completely his fault. That's A lot mm-hmm. of that's just the notes he was given to, to get over, you know? We go to a commercial, and when we come back, some unfamiliar generic rock plays, and down the ramp comes an unfamiliar bald man with a goatee, a very hairy torso, black trunks with a red waistband, and pink boots. Oh, and he's fucking seven feet tall. He's gigantic. <laughs> his graphic says he's Big Ron Stud, and he makes his way down the ramp and into the ring without the announcers mentioning, again, this seven-foot-tall man mm-hmm. at all. Chris Benoit's theme plays, and here he is, along with Woman and Liz. Liz is wearing the same leather biker stuff that she wore at Hogwild, while Woman is looking great in black shorts, a very revealing black bustier with pink cummerbund, and a matching pink bow tie all under a black coat. Instead of saying anything about who Ron Studd is or why he's facing Chris Benoit here, Larry and Tony instead say that Sting and Luger might be making a mistake in facing the Outsiders. Larry goes so far as to say they're being controlled by emotion, the same thing that, quote, controls womanhood, and, quote, we all know what happens when that runs amok. (laughs) Dave's eating pizza away from the microphone, but I assure you he's laughing. (laughs) (laughs) women am i right oh boy finally they simply say that here's ron stud it's his debut and he's facing chris benoit so i guess it's up to me to tell you that ron stud is ron reese aka the yate aka the super giant ninja now why is this repackaged former college basketball player going now as big ron stud why to capitalize on his training and mentorship by one of the original giants of modern wrestling big john stud of course, the announcers don't tell you this, so all you know is there's a guy with a similar name to Big John Stud. Before the match starts, these two stand toe-to-toe in the ring, and Benoit, despite being a good two feet shorter than Stud, is not intimidated, and he talks some shit and slaps Stud. A second slap provokes Stud into grabbing the crippler by the neck and tossing him into the corner, where he lays him some kicks before choking and chopping him a bit. Ron tosses Benoit into the opposite corner and charges, but Benoit gets his boots up into the big man's mouth. Stud stumbles away, and Benoit drop kicks him in the back of the knee, bringing the big man to the mat. 
Having cut Stud down to size, Benoit takes control, focusing on that bad knee. Stud is actually pretty decently at selling it, too, for a little bit. Benoit does not do a move of offense that does not target that knee for the next minute or two and drags Stud over to the corner to throw the knee into the ring post. Benoit lets Stud get back to his feet, then goes for a shin breaker, though he's targeting the wrong leg this time, unfortunately. <laughs> so Stud doesn't really know what to do, so he fights it off, elbowing Benoit's head several times until Benoit relinquishes the leg. Stud then unfortunately can't remember which knee he's supposed to be selling, the one that he was originally hit in or the one that Benoit was just trying to target. So he now alternates between limping on both of his legs <laughs> as he gets Benoit with a scoop slam. Reese then points to a corner like he's going to climb the ropes, which insanely he does. There's no reason a guy this big should ever be going to the top rope. Benoit drop kicks him once he's perched on the top turnbuckle, and it takes him like a good four attempts to get up to the top turnbuckle because he's probably never climbed to the top rope in his life. Right. And the drop kick causes Stud to fall into a sitting position. Benoit then hits a friggin' superplex on a seven-foot-tall man, which gets him the 1-2-3 victory. The crowd continues to be hot, popping both for the big move and the Benoit victory. It's funny that WCW took a seven-foot-tall bruiser-looking dude and made him a TV jobber. <laughs> right. But it continues the trend on this show of uh, short enhancement matches that aren't terribly wrestled and get a lot of help from a hot crowd. So uh, I didn't hate this. There is a point to it, uh, which we'll kind of get to in a minute. So there is a reason why this match happened. Uh, Dave, what did you think of our Nitro debut of, of this gimmick of Ron Reese's? <laughs> it's, it's very generous to call it a gimmick. It's well, just, it <laughs> just, he wears just black tights. Doesn't, yeah. doesn't see it, say anything. It felt like the whole thing was just a setup for like, watch Benoit superplex this really big guy. <laughs> mean Gene and the ladies joined Benoit in the ring. Gene flirts with woman a bit and then mentions that Benoit will be facing the Giant this Thursday at Clash of the Champions. Ah, and there it is, the reason Ron Reese was brought back in to lose to Benoit. Chris easily beat a huge dude to show that he has some chance against the Giant on Thursday. Okay, so I, I at least accept now that there was a reason why Ron Reese was put in this position, and it's not like you can't just shuttle him off and repackage him as uh, the abominable ninja, yeti, or whatever. Right. There's, there's not a lot of character development at stake here. <laughs> Gene then asked Benoit about his match against Malenko at Hogwild, saying it was one of the best matches that he'd ever seen. Benoit puts Malenko over as one of the best technical wrestlers in the world and says that he admires and respects the Iceman's talents. He says that Malenko didn't realize that Benoit and the Horsemen have an agenda, and until they fulfill that agenda, they fulfill that agenda. <laughs> Relentlessly and unabatedly. <laughs> Go on. Oh, boy. <laughs> Benoit says that a few obstacles remain in the way and then addresses the giant. He says that the giant is strong by stature and big by stature, <laughs> but that the crippler will knock him down to size. Gene wraps up and then thankfully sends us to commercial. You know, people always kind of talked about when Benoit was becoming a thing like, uh, you know, in WC WWE around like 2000. 2002 you know in that sort of range i know he was injured with that neck injury but as he was kind of rising through the ranks that like god this guy's really got it all except for his promos and i don't think you can really uh undersell how bad those promos could be mm. especially in wcw where he was less scripted they're just they're so so bad he seems like the kind of guy that maybe 
already had too much confidence to when he should be learning more. Because you get the sense, yeah. I, I get the sense when he's talking that he's like, oh, yeah, I know what I, I'm, I know what I'm doing here. When, when really he just kind of, there's a lot of big words in his head. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they're, but they're just kind of tumbling around there. But Again, they came up with the whole silent but violent thing. And he used it as a catchphrase, but he never actually stayed silent. Mm-hmm. Like, he's been very verbose yeah. to his own detriment. Just go with the silent thing. That was a good idea. Mm-hmm. I, I want to think that later on his promos get better, but I just don't remember now because yeah. it's been such a long time. But it'll be interesting to see when he gets more higher profile matches and is doing more promos, um, if that improves. After a break, we come back to Tony and Larry, and Tony treats us to some stills of the Steiner Brothers Harlem Heat match from Hog Wild, and we'll be getting a rematch next. The Dynamite Stick countdown begins as Bobby must be taking a seat because a big weasel chant starts up amongst the crowd. Tony and Larry hype Hour 2 as time expires and Pyro explodes. An amped-up Bischoff welcomes us to Hour 2. Bobby asks Eric where Bischoff was last week, a huge subject and major storyline of the last night show that nobody has brought up since, either on Hog Wild or earlier on the show tonight. So what explanation do they give? You remember last time uh, Eric said that he was tied up in executive meetings. Mm-hmm. He, he was very apologetic, but he was just tied up in these meetings. There was nothing he could do about it. This time he says, I was taking care of some business, and that's all he is willing to say. And Bobby doesn't ask a single follow-up question, and the subject is never brought up again. <laughs> it's one of those things where Bobby's like, I don't really care, but I feel like the polite <laughs> thing is to ask. It's just like, they learned that they can do that, that they can raise the storyline and then just dismiss it when they don't come up with a good answer. Mm-hmm. And so, like, and in only the second iteration of that happening, it's become the laziest possible version. Right. Where, like, the first time was like, Oh, God. Okay, well, we'll talk about it, and we'll just try to, you know... This time, it's just like, just say, I don't want to talk about it, and then we'll just... And then, mm. then that's it. That's the only resolution the crowd will ever get. It's like both times, Bischoff wasn't going to be around, and, and Eric was thinking, oh, man, people are going to really miss me. I have to... We have to do something. <laughs> yeah. When they should have realized, no, just don't be there. People will be fine with you not being yeah. there. Like, if you don't show up for a show, I, th- I don't think people are going to get in a panic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just say, especially because they've been a little open that he's, you know, a a a power behind the scenes. Just say, Eric's got some things he's got to work on to Mm -hmm. get this huge hog, this Sturgis show on the road. So he's he's got the night off. Yeah, or just say he's got the night off because Mm -hmm. they do that shit on news and sports all the time. Eric talks about how devastating Saturday night was for WCW and says that Hogan stole the hearts, minds, and souls of WCW fans. Yikes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's a, a hearts, bit overwrought. Hearts, minds, and souls. Also, when you say that someone has stolen your heart or your soul, doesn't that mean that you like them? Stolen? Like, oh, you've stolen just, my heart. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> but that's not how he means it at all. Yeah, you stole my heart. I'm in love with you. You've also <laughs> stolen my soul. You're a demon spawn. <laughs> it's a very complicated relationship. Harlem Heat come out with Sister Sherry and Colonel Robert Parker. Eric gives us by far the most information on the clash we've been given to this point. Of course, Hogan and Flair will square off, and we know about Benoit and the Giant now, but the show also will apparently feature Eddie Guerrero, Diamond Dallas Page, a rematch of Medusa and Bull Nakano, and uh, Ultimo Dragon will be in action. So he doesn't, like, name specific matchups, but we at least, like, learn a little bit of the people that are going to be on this show. It's progress. Now, an important thing to say that might be lost to history is in the commercial breaks, 
or maybe even on commercials over on TBS. Maybe they're saying all these matches all the time. But all we know is that on their premiere broadcast, their flagship show, Mm -hmm. they are not fleshing out this information for us. The Steiners attack Harlem Heat as the bell sounds. Rick tosses Stevie from the ring, and Scott gets Booker T with a back body drop, and Booker rolls to the outside. The Steiners pose early as the Heat confer with Parker to rethink their strategy of turning their backs on their opponents the second the fight starts. Nothing? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Once Once things have settled, Booker and Scott start off the match proper. Scott seizes control with some knees to the gut, and Bischoff hypes tonight's United States Championship match between Randy Savage and Ric Flair, saying that we've been waiting a long, long time for that match. Now, of course, WCW has had that match as the main event of their house shows going back to March, but it is the first televised meeting between the two since February, when Flair was the World Heavyweight Champion, and it happens to be the second-to-last televised singles match these two will ever have, with the last one coming just over a year from now. I, I know what one that is, too. <laughs> <laughs> Brain says that Savage has got all his electric shocks, and the doctors had declared him legally nuts, so now he's gotten the okay to wrestle. <laughs> Not sure how that works, but... Okay, you're legally nuts. Now you can wrestle. Yeah. Um, By the way, I I just kind of thought of um, when tag teams face each other yeah. more than once, it seems like that maybe they, have, they just kind of go with the same strategy, because... Every time Harlem Heat faces the Steiner brothers, yeah. they always start off with Booker T and Scott Steiner. And I kind of feel like that's just the way they like to set up their matches. Sure, yeah. Well, it's also the way I prefer they set up their matches. <laughs> right, no, it's it's <laughs> the correct way to set up their matches. <laughs> Scott catches Booker with his always impressive release belly-to-belly suplex. Stevie takes exception to this and comes in, but a fired-up Scott levels up on the clothesline. Outside the ring, Sherry tries to help Booker refocus. Booker wants to get back to the ring, but not until Rick Steiner, who isn't legal, clears out. A reasonable request. (laughs) Finally, things settle down and Stevie and Rick come in. As Stevie and Rick exchange strikes, Bischoff thanks all the people they met at and on the way to Sturgis. He declares, fuck me, they'll be back again next year. (laughs) Rick reverses a back body drop for two. He tags in Scott, who stays in control as we head to a mid-match commercial. We return to see Steiner in control with a crossface on Booker that he releases for no reason. In comes Rick, and this has got to be an odd tag match with the baby faces firmly in control and no sign of the typical build heat for a hot tag formula. Booker thumbs the eye and tries for a vertical suplex, but Rick blocks a couple of attempts and hits one of his own. Booker rolls outside and Rick follows him out and around the corner of the ring where Rick is blindsided by Stevie, who just runs hard right the fuck into him like a freight train. Stevie <laughs> Ray's a big dude. Mm-hmm. Stevie gently slams Rick on the ringside mats as Bischoff talks about the controversy surrounding the alleged fast count by Nick Patrick during the Outsiders versus Lex and Sting match from Hog Wild. <sighs> just, just focus on the other part. Yeah, it's that's exactly my next note. It's mm-hmm. so weird that they talk about the count and not the fact that he shot blocked Lex twice in the back of the leg. Right. And the second time was clearly intentional. Right. I guess because that part was botched, they feel like they can't draw focus to it, maybe? That's all I can come up with. I mean, if they're going that much attention to detail, then they should have the detail that it wasn't a fast count. Yeah. It's well, just, it just go with the one that's the obvious cheating. Yeah. And not, not like, I don't know. It's just frustrating a little bit. Meanwhile, Booker and Rick have returned to the ring, and Booker tries to leapfrog Steiner, but Steiner catches him and turns it into a power slam for two. Scott gets tagged in and clotheslines T, then clotheslines an approaching Stevie Ray. 
He gets a double underhook powerbomb on Booker, but Stevie stops the count. Rick dispenses with Stevie, and Scott takes Booker out with an inverted atomic drop and a clothesline over the top rope. Everyone but Scott is now outside the ring, and Rick approaches Rob Parker menacingly. Sherry helps Booker to the apron, and as Scott Steiner suplexes Booker back into the ring, Sherry pulls his ankle so that he falls backward and Booker rolls on top of him in midair. She keeps hold of Steiner's foot, and Patrick, despite having a clear view of this, goes to count the pin, but Parker, who is still fleeing the dog-faced gremlin, gets in the ring, and in his haste to escape, he stumbles backward into Booker and Scott and trips backwards. Patrick throws this one out, and the result is a DQ win for the Steiner brothers, uh, who get the win, but not the straps. Eric says that this should serve as proof that Nick Patrick is an ethical official. <laughs> what an overbooked fucking mess of a finish. <laughs> right. So the heels are trying to cheat, mm-hmm. but then their manager gets in and Bumblefuck stumbles his way backwards. So the baby faces get a win by DQ, but Booker is also really mad at Parker, and it doesn't make any sense because, like, I guess in Booker's mind, he really wanted to get that win. Mm-hmm. That was somehow more important than keeping the belts, but he knew that he was also cheating to get the win. <laughs> so, like, yeah, it was I guess a... getting a win that you cheat for is better than keeping your belts by disqualification loss. I, I don't know. I mean, it would only make sense if, if he was saying, like, what the fuck are you doing in the ring? Yeah, that's a good point. I, I, I think that's a, a something to argue. But, yeah, it was just a complete clusterfuck at the end. Although, to Colonel Robert Parker's uh, effort, like, his timing was great. Sure. He was there at yes. the right time. Yeah, everything would have been a much bigger mess had not everybody hit their cues. Um, right. Like, so that is something to be said uh, in, in a positive direction, I think. <laughs> right. It's certainly a thing to be said about this. <laughs> <laughs> Even in my mind when I'm replaying it, I want to replay it the other way because it makes more sense that Scott's getting the pin. I mean, really, they're mu- they're less worried about completely making sense as they are of advancing the storyline mm-hmm. that there's friction between Harlem Heat and their managers because that's been kind of going on for a while, as well as advancing the storyline of, like, Nick Patrick just sort of always being in the middle of these, you know, questionable situations, yeah. which any referee in professional wrestling is, but they're just choosing to focus on Patrick's as part of a storyline. Yeah. Sherry plays Peacemaker between Booker, who's yelling at uh, Parker, as I mentioned, and we see replays of the ending. Eric promotes the upcoming footage of the NWO beating up the Booty Man and defacing the belt at Hog Wild. He then cues up footage of Medusa destroying Sonny Ono's bike. After Eric and Bobby pivot back to the NWO, and Bobby talks about how cool the Outsiders are, uh, like how relaxed and laid back they are, uh. he then says, Sting is not cool, Luger's not cool, and I laughed because he's right. <laughs> Back to the ring and David Penzer, who introduces the cruiserweight champion, Rey Mysterio Jr., who for some reason comes out before the challenger here, Ultimo Dragon. Dragon then comes out with Sonny Ono, and he's so Japanese that he not only gets generic Japanese theme music, but he and Sonny bow to each other mm-hmm. for some reason. No. Which is like, if you accept that the bow is, is sort of a cross between like a handshake and like a show of respect, it just implies like they just walked out and they had not acknowledged each other until they got in front of everyone. It was like, (laughs) now it's time to say hello. (laughs) We want everyone to know about our friendship. (laughs) And that makes them terrible heels. USA. (laughs) In the U.S., we don't have friends. (laughs) Before the match starts, Dragon, as part of his entrance, just spits a bunch of red mist out of his mouth. Mm -hmm. And Bobby hilariously goes, looks like you got a hold of some of Mrs. Guerrero's chili. Yeah. That was a good line. And Tony, 
I think Tony was like almost upset about it. Yeah, Eric. It's a uh, Bishop. Oh, Bishop. He, he starts going. He goes like, uh, "Easy." Yeah. Like, <laughs> just like dance around the racism. Don't go quite all the way into it. <laughs> Easy now. Listen, we're focusing on the Japanese racism <laughs> right now. It is nice to have sober Bobby back, though. Yes. Uh, just getting like good lines that make me laugh and not make me laugh because he's telling me that Sherry's doing something bad to Scott Steiner's face. <laughs> Now, here to call all the cruiserweight champion is our own vanilla midget, Dave Amantorp. Okay. Um, and, and for the record, when he was introduced, he was called the Ultimate Dragon again. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm just going to refer to him as Ultimo Dragon. But I just wanted to know, I'm interested in when they s- go back to just Ultimo Dragon. I was going to ask, because you're the, you're the established WCW fan. I'm going through these largely for the first time. Mm-hmm. So they do occasionally, they do eventually get it right. I would say for the majority of his career in WCW, he's called Ultimo Dragon. Okay. I don't, I, I hardly remember these times when he was called Ultimate. Yeah. So I just want to kind of note that as to when it changes. Okay. Because I'm just interested in that. After missing a few spin kicks at the opening bell, Ultimo Dragon nails the champ with hard kicks to the chest and the back before dropping him with a spin wheel kick. Dragon then picks Mysterio up and hits a spinning Argentine backbreaker for a two count. It whips to the opposite corner, sets up Dragon to hit a backspring back elbow as early moments of this match have been a showcase for Ultimo. It's too bad. I think we've talked about this before, but it's too bad that the handspring back elbow, mostly thanks to WWF, got labeled as a girl move because mm-hmm. it's a cool fucking move. It looks great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not only do they do it, do the women do that in WWE, but like almost all of them seem to do it. It doesn't, yes. it's not, it doesn't even seem like a really significant move anymore. I feel like like Kelly Kelly did it a lot or something. Well, and even China did it. And I feel like she was the first one. And then it was like, and then because it was a signature spot for China, they didn't let anyone else do it, which is fine because that's how signature spots in a company like WWF work. Mm-hmm. But then like after she was gone, they were just like, okay, now all the women do it. Yeah. And it was just a weird choice. Uh, after a running sit down powerbomb, Dragon goes to the top, hits a flying nothing as Mysterio gets his feet up. <laughs> it's an amazing, A, it's an amazing running powerbomb, sit-out mm-hmm. powerbomb. Yep. It's just a great flying nothing, too. There, There's n- no one doing any less anything than right. he is doing. And then when he get, he comes down in Rey Mysterio's boots, and then he stumbles like eight full steps away and then does a back bump, and mm-hmm. it's hilarious. Yeah, I, I made a note that he did some comical selling. <laughs> You're getting, absolutely right. Of getting his bell rung, which is kind of unexpected from Ultimo Dragon. Yes. So Ray rallies back with a springboard Huracurana, which sends Ultimo to the outside. Ray quickly comes off the ropes and dives onto him for a somersault senton. After some selling of a knee injury. His Ra- right knee. <laughs> oh, <laughs> My he, right knee. He's only on his third surgery. <laughs> After some selling of the right knee injury. Ray tosses Ultimo back into the ring. However, an attempt at a top rope crossbody is thwarted by Dragon dropkicking him in midair, which is always a great spot. Yes, agreed. As long as they hit the dropkick, that is. And Dragon does hit the dropkick yes. here. Ray rolls to the outside, and Dragon hits him with the dropkick through the ropes. Yeah, it's that bit. They did the exact same thing at Hogwild where he, he jumps through the ropes with a dropkick, hangs onto the top rope, and then skins the cat back mm-hmm. at the ring. It... It's repeating a spot they did two days ago, but it's a great spot, so I didn't really mind. Yeah, and not only 
when he flipped back into the ring, he immediately hit the ropes and nailed Mysterio with a suicide dive. Yes. And I wrote that it was a great sequence of moves from the challenger. Yes. Because not only was it, it, it was very crisp. Um, and, it, and, and that's the sort of thing where it's like, if you just do that right away, I can believe that, that Mysterio was not recovered in right. time. So. Absolutely. Um, also, I'm pretty sure I could hear Ray's head bounce off the guardrail when he landed on the suicide dive. So I wonder if his bell got a little bit rung there. And actually, both might have hit their head as the match is kind of slow to return back to the rings. Once it does, Dragon flips out of a back body drop attempt and hits a double underhook German suplex for two. Ultimo then slams Ray in the middle of the ring and then comes off the top turnbuckle with a very low vertical moonsault for a two count. Uh, Sensing victory, Ultimo sets Ray up for a powerbomb, but Mysterio flips through it into a schoolboy roll-up and gets him the three count. It was a short match, um, but yeah, I think both of them kind of... There wasn't really anything new out of this between both of these yeah. two, but what they have to d- show is really good still. I would say that they made a, a real conscious effort this time because it, they didn't have nearly the length of time they had at Hogwild. Mm-hmm. So this time it seems like Ray being really secure in his position, which is pretty incredible given that he's still pretty new, uh, but he is a cruiserweight champion and it seems like he's you know management really likes him. So this match really is to get over Ultimo Dragon. Ray picks up the win on kind of a fluke, mm-hmm. um, but... Almost all the big spots are Ultimo, Dragon, uh, Ultimo Dragon's offense, and it just looks great. This is a real great showcase match for him, and Ray picks up the win, and Dragon, I think, is back to Japan. He'll, he'll be back, but he's kind of off for a little bit, a few weeks anyway. Uh, so this was, I thought this was a great showcase of Dragon, and if it didn't show off Ray's much, that's fine, because Ray's had plenty of chances to shine, and he'll have plenty more. Yeah, and I felt like they both had more of an opportunity to do stuff outside the ring since they didn't lure on that platform anymore. Right. Um, so we got, I mean, the suicide dive, senton, both of them were able to kind of uh, feel free to jump over the top rope. And so, uh, but again, I feel like there was a lot of things that we saw in the previous match. It was only two days ago. Right. But again, what they show off is better than 95% of like, what we get from the eight-man tags and stuff like that we usually see on Nitro. And in four and a half minutes, they cut out a lot of the fat. Like, this is just all steak, you know? Right. Bobby talks about the history and importance of the WCW title that Hogan defaced. He asks if Eric know how many men held that title, and I do, and the answer is eight. Seven if you don't already count Hulk Hogan for holding that belt before. I think Bobby is sort of, like, implying, like, the big gold belt is, you know, the whole NWA lineage. Yeah. But the actual WCW Heavyweight Championship uh, goes back to like ninety two or ninety three, and it's mostly been Flair and like occasionally yeah. Vader. Is ninety one? Ninety one. July ninety one. Yep. So yeah, it's actually like it's funny. He's like, do you know how many legends have held that title? It's like, well, everyone that's had that title has been a great, great really like good name. It's it's got mm-hmm. good history in that respect. The Giant is probably the weakest choice of all the title holders so far of all eight of them. Uh, but it is not like a laundry list of, it's not like Lou Thez and, you know, they're not all officially a part of this championship lineage. Yeah. Um, one of the big things when it comes to pro wrestling, I'm really into the titles and title history. And sure. Everything yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. And later on, I don't know when they'll do it. It'll be another thing about like the prestige of the world championship. Yeah. They will insinuate that it goes back to 1904. With George Hackenschmidt. Oh, sure. Which is a ridiculous claim to make. Yeah, because I remember this is something they did uh, when they when WWE 
united the WWE Championship and the World's Heavyweight Championship. And they started implying that the World's Heavyweight Championship went back to 1904. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, no, this is like really it goes back to like 2003 when they just invented it and gave it to Triple H. Right. Um, but like, OK, if you accept that it's somehow related to the WCW Championship, then that really only goes back to 91. But OK, if you accept that that's the NWA Championship, that goes back to like 1954. Like there's just all these points where you're like. Even if you accept it, yeah. it only goes back this far. Like, mm-hmm. it, it definitely doesn't go back to 1904. Right. The camera takes in the hot crowd before we see stills of Flair's successful title defense against Eddie at Hogwild. The Nature Boy's music plays, and like with the match previous, the champ is out first as Flair struts out, accompanied by Woman and Liz, replete with pyro. Out next is the challenger, the Macho Man, Randy Savage, who is received warmly by the Casper Faithful. The Macho Man. <laughs> Randy also gets pyro, including a long shower of sparks behind the WCW logos on either side of the aisle. Uh, Here to call all of Ric Flair and Randy Savage is her own macho nature. I don't know. I got nothing. Dave Amateur. (laughs) The macho boy. (laughs) There we go. The nature man. (laughs) I like both of them. (laughs) Uh, As Flair was coming out to the ring, Tony Schiavone... Uh, insinuated that this was Randy Savage's first real shot at Ric Flair, which is a ridiculous thing. Yeah, like I said, they've been their main event on house shows forever has been this match. Not only that, but these two feuded earlier this year yeah. for a better championship. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's been a while yeah. since they've been on TV one-on-one, if that's what they want to suggest. Yeah. Then I get, would give him that, but well, in the you, you point out that they feuded over this belt when Flair had it earlier this year. Mm-hmm. He won it from Savage at Starcade, right? So, yeah, like they've been feuding way back to Savage's 1995 reign. Yeah, and Elizabeth is with Flair because she cost Savage the title. Yes. So, come on, Tony, that harlot. <laughs> uh, so Macho Man, when he's coming down to the aisle. He's doing his, like, you know, I'm getting my stuff off as quickly as possible right. so I can attack. And I'm pretty sure he tosses his hat into the crowd. Ooh, he probably which, regretted that. Which would be one hell of a souvenir if you grab Yeah, that. no kidding. Any- Randy Savage cowboy hat with all the sequins and stuff. Right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Savage does rush to the ring as the two men exchange blows as the, as the bell rings. This will be pretty much the theme of the match of trading off punches and chops. That is going to be about 80% of what they do. And this one starts off with Savage gaining the upper hand and eventually hitting a back body drop. Macho Man is not interested in playing by the rules this evening, or when you think of it, really ever, (laughs) as he chokes and rakes the eyes of the nature boy. Seriously, he, Macho Man probably overcomes Hogan as the face that cheats the most. (laughs) Well, there's always Jim Duggan. No, that's the... (laughs) True. <laughs> but Macho Man is all about choking and eye raking as soon as he can. Flair escapes his predicament with an eye poke, and we're back to exchanging blows around the ring. Savage eventually gets upper hand and loads with punches, and Flair flops to the mat. This gives Rick the opening to scurry to the outside, but Randy is quickly after him. Flair manages to hit a low blow, and he tosses Macho Man back into the ring as we head to a commercial break. We're back from commercial, and it's obvious Flair dominated the offense while we were away. At one point, Savage was hanging on the rope, like on the middle ropes, and Miss Elizabeth, to her credit, 
drills him with a slap. You could hear the slap. <laughs> Which, for her, that's about as, like... Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> as fierce as I've ever seen. Savage then tries to lunge at her, but both women manage to stay out of his grasp. Then we get more exchanging of blows, which Macho Man yet again gains the advantage. He hits a top rope double axe handle smash, but makes the mistake of going for, to the well for a second time, as the Nature Boy grounds him with a fist to the gut. Flair then tosses Savage out of the ring and distracts Randy Anderson as Woman kicks Macho Man in the ribs. They're both back in the ring, and Flair begins his slow march towards slapping on to figure four. And after hitting a knee breaker, he actually does execute the figure four. And now not one, not two, not three, but four times Randy Savage's shoulders are on the mat. Yet all four times he gets <laughs> a shoulder up before three. He then fights and reverses it, which of course, by wrestling uh, biology or physics, suggests that it's going to hurt the nature boy a lot more when it's reversed. They return to exchanging blows again, which Flair breaks up with the snapmare. The Nature Boy then goes to the top rope for his legendary Flare 50 splash, only to get tossed back into the middle of the ring. There's lots of punching from Macho Man tonight. That's yeah. pretty much all he's interested in doing. Flair tries to surprise Savage with a clothesline, only to nail Randy Anderson, but oh, instead... No. Savage immediately clotheslines Flair over the top rope as Bischoff is beside himself over this turn of events. <laughs> Savage then comes off the top to the floor with a double axe handle. As Macho Man tears up the ringside padding, Hulk Hogan appears in the aisle with a steel chair. We kind of get this like nice shot of uh, the camera sees Savage and Flair and sees Hogan, Yeah, but Savage can't see Hogan. Yeah, Hogan, <laughs> Hogan starts off so far. They're so long for him to walk yeah. towards Savage with us, the audience, being privy. Like You know how they normally film a run-in so that you can't see the guy? Sometimes you hear the crowd yelling early. Mm-hmm. But, like, no, we see we see every step of Hulk Hogan sneaking his way down here. Yeah. And I, mean, I, f- I felt like there was a moment where Hogan kind of, like, plays up the crowd like, I'm going to hit him. <laughs> he doesn't know what's coming. Here comes the interference. <laughs> Hogan blasts Macho Man in the back with a chair and then hits him in, right in the face as hard as he can while Nick Patrick checks on Randy Anderson. He then tosses Savage into the ring, and Ho- and Flair follows in and gets the pinfall victory. Although Savage is unconscious, yeah. but Flair still puts his feet on the ropes. Yes. <laughs> and Woman holds his feet as well. I have the exact same note. Savage has been hit several times with a chair, basically out cold, but Flair puts his feet on the ropes and has Woman hold his feet. God bless Ric Flair. <laughs> That's what my notes say. It's amazing. And and for the record, as far as because the the camera is at ringside for this whole sequence of events. Yeah. From the camera view, it does appear like Flair doesn't see Hogan. Right. Um, and that should be something that is noted because they start, the the announcers question if Hogan left Flair on purpose. Right. Yes, that's very true. So uh, you're right that it was a lot of punching and kicking. I thought it was fine, though. Um, I mean, these two guys, the crowd is just so into him, and they know kind of how to work and how to sell and, and elicit emotion without doing much. Mm-hmm. So this was no Ray versus uh, Ultimo Dragon, but it was fine for what it was. I didn't have any problems. Yeah, and um, and for Hogan's credit, he made those tear shots count. Yes. <laughs> I, I would say the one on the, the head wasn't terrible. Like, I've seen way worse unprotected chair shots. Mm-hmm. It was somewhere between, like, laughably weak and, like, 
please don't do that. I'm sad that I'm watching this. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I It seemed like he just wanted to make sure you could hear it. Yes, I would, uh, that's an accurate description. The crowd boos as Flair is announced the winner and quickly hoofs it with Woman and Liz without even bothering to get his U.S. title. He's just, he's out of here. Eh, he's champ. Someone will bring him belt. Eric and Bobby question Flair's loyalties, as Dave mentioned, given that Hogan didn't attack him and how Flair didn't make any attempt to go after Hulk. We then get stills of Hulk vs. Giant from Saturday. The picture showing the Giant falling back after the belt shot from Hogan is pretty great, because mm-hmm. it's like with both of his feet in the air as he's going backwards. Yeah. It's just a, it's a good still shot to put on the show. We then get a clip of the post-match shenanigans with the beatdown of the booty man and the spray painting of the belt. <laughs> beatdown of the booty man. <laughs> we go to Mean Gene, who talks for a bit before Hulk Hogan struts out to interrupt him. You know, I must tell you, Eric, it is Brand Larsity. There's a dark cloud that hangs over World Championship Wrestling tonight, and especially here in Casper, Wyoming. We have one man who is laid out of the ring. That's the Macho Man, Randy Savage. We'll keep you posted on his condition. Now you talk about referees getting their balls greased. You talk about wrestlers being on the take. Hulk Hogan, what you have done to a man that I know that you have known for many, many years, the booty man, and now this tonight, where in the devil is the New World Order going? Well, all of a sudden, brother, the New World Order is real important around here. First, we take the WCW title. Easily, I might add, we transform it into the new world order belt. And then all of a sudden, red turns to green, brother, as you see the macho man, one of my former friends, laying out in the middle of the square circle, brother. You know, the way I feel right now, there's just no stopping the new world order, Mean Gene. What about Ric Flair? Ric Flair's going to try stopping this Thursday night. 5 Eastern time on TBS at the Clash of the Champions. You're going to have your hands full. Well, what this whole thing boils down to is business, brother. I already told you why we attacked the WCW. We attacked the WCW for a reason, not because of who was there. I didn't care if General Custard himself or President Clinton was there. We were there for a reason, and we accomplished that mission. Just like when condominiums were burned in Waco, they burned them for a reason, not because of who was in there. That's why Ric Flair, brother, that's why I did what I did tonight. I wanted to make sure that since all the fans out here, everybody in the WCW has such a high regard for your past accolades, dude. I wanted to make sure there wasn't a hair missing, a mark, or a scar on your body because in the clash of champions, when I step in the ring with the new NWO belt, the new NWO champion, I don't want any excuses, brother, when I wipe you out right in Denver, Colorado, 72 hours from now. All right, a uh, couple of other things that I want to talk about. We are right now awaiting the arrival of the Outsiders, and they're going to lock it up, as I understand, here tonight with Lex Luger and Sting. Well, you know, without a doubt, the Outsiders are here to clean up a little bit of business for the holster and the NWO, dude. But I want to tell everybody, when my outsiders get done with the Staker brother and Flexi Lexi, we're going to change all their names. Because everybody has nicknames around here, just like the Nature Boy. 
they don't apply anymore. We're strictly business in the NWO, and we're gonna categorize, categorize everybody with certain names, brother. So from now on, people like the Nature Boy are gonna be right in the proper category. And as far as I'm concerned, starting in Denver, Colorado, Ric Flair will be known as the stupid little man, brother, because stupid little man, if I would do that to my best friend, if I would do that to the macho man, what do you think I'm gonna do to you, brother? See you later, chump. I wonder what Gene was going to talk about before Hulk decided to come out, but we'll <laughs> never know. Gene asks what's going on with the NWO. Hulk talks a bit without really saying anything. Gene asks about Hulk's match against Flair this Thursday. Hogan says that they attacked WCW for a reason, and he didn't care who was there, be it General Custard, which is how he pronounces it, or President Clinton. Hogan says that this is just like how the condominiums were burned at Waco. It didn't have anything to do with who was in there. They just had to be burned for a reason. Yeah. What the <laughs> fuck are you talking about, Hulk Hogan? <laughs> now, for anyone who doesn't know, this refers to a standoff throughout several months of 1993 between the Branch Davidian cult in Waco, Texas, and agents of the U.S. federal government that snowballed into a controversial raid by the government that ended when the Davidians set fire to their own compound. Uh, when it was over, 82 cult members and four federal agents were dead, among the dead Davidians were 25 children. <laughs> right. This is a thing Hogan just used nonchalantly in a wrestling angle mm. three years later, and it doesn't make a lick of sense. Because right. it's not even just, wow, that's offensive. But what point was he making? What he, he says, like, we attacked WCW for a reason. Also, this thing was burned and these people died. And it didn't matter who they were. It was for a reason. Mm -hmm. That's such a tenuous, like, point to make. Why... Why was Waco your needed reference point for that to happen? Yeah, like you said, it it's too it's too confusing to be like insulting. You know? Yes, yes. I'm I'm just more like that didn't make any sense. I I can't get upset about that. I'm sort of weirdly impressed that Okerlund showed no reaction to that. <laughs> like he didn't laugh or look like, oh shit, what is this guy talking about? He just stone faces it through that. Right. Hogan does explain that he left Flair alone tonight because he wants Flair at full strength on Thursday, so that Flair has no excuses when the Hulkster beats him. Hogan makes it very clear how he views the pecking order when Gene asks about the Outsiders match tonight, and Hogan describes them as taking care of a little business for the Hulkster, and then calls them, quote, my Outsiders. He says that they're going to beat The Stinker and Flexi Lexi, oh. and says they're going to give everyone new nicknames. Names like The Nature Boy don't apply anymore, and the NWO, which is strictly business, is going to categorize everyone anew. Only he tries and fails twice to properly pronounce categorize. Flair's new nickname is, quote, The Stupid Little Man. Yeah. This whole promo, including <laughs> what's about how they're giving people devastating new burns for nicknames, mm -hmm. and the best that he came up with for Flair was the stupid little man. Right. Hogan calls Gene a chump and then heads to the back as we go to commercial. When we come back, you can see WCW mascot Wildcat Willie hyping the crowd from inside the ring, which is a strange juxtaposition to Eric Bischoff telling us that during the break, Macho Man was stretchered out. <laughs> he was hit in the head with a steel chair. He's on his way to a hospital on a stretcher. Look at this. 
fucking silly cat mascot hyping up these kids. Yeah. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Imagine being a kid there and seeing Hogan talk about Waco, Macho taken out on a stretcher, and then here comes Wildcat Willie. <laughs> Be a confusing experience. <laughs> for some footage, we get... For some reason, we get footage of weeks ago when Arn was attacked backstage at Disney by the NWO. I guess just kind of to give us more context for Thursday and why Flair and Hogan don't like each other. Bischoff starts referring to unspecified chaos in the back that he's hearing about through his headset. He says the Outsiders match is right now, but he doesn't know where they are. A spooked Heenan threatens to walk out. The NWO music plays and we cut to Hall and Nash who are climbing over a guardrail, having entered through the crowd. A man calls Sting plays and out walks Luger, but Sting isn't by his side. Instead, Luger has Nick Patrick in tow. Lex comes to the ring with a head of steam, ducks stereo punches from the outsiders, and then levels them both with a double clothesline. He attacks Nash into a corner and Irish whips haul into him. He gets six corner punches on Nash and then dives off... <sighs> he gets six corner punches on Nash and then dives off the middle turnbuckle, twisting in midair to nail Hall with a forearm. Nash stumbles forward to help and doesn't see Sting appear from nowhere. Nash, Nash stumbles forward to help Hall and doesn't see Sting, who appears from nowhere and climbs the ropes behind Nash. Lex mounts and punches Hall, and Nash turns around to a Stinger flying clothesline. Sting clotheslines Nash over the top rope and into a guardrail, and Lex dumps Hall between the ropes and to the floor, and Team WCW is rolling as the crowd cheers on loudly. Eric says that they are still planning on having the Giant versus Arn Anderson tonight, as Hall and Nash try to re-enter the ring but are rebuffed by Sting and Lex. Lex tries to jump down with a double sledge, but Hall hits him in the gut and throws him into the ring post. On the opposite side of the ring, Sting does a slingshot plancha onto Nash. Sting throws Nash into the guardrail, but is attacked from behind by Hall. Nash and Hall throw Sting into the ring and double-team him until Lex runs in, and Sting and Lex once again run wild on the Outsiders. Nash soon catches Sting with a big boot. He tosses Sting over the top rope. The Outsiders now work over Lex, with Nash nailing him with a sidewalk slam and Hall with an elbow drop. Bischoff questions why Patrick doesn't call for the DQ when Sting was thrown over the top rope, or now that the Outsiders are double-teaming Lex right in front of him. But I have no idea who the legal man is, and there's been zero semblance of rules or order in this entire match. Yeah. Uh, not even favoring either team, like... Both baby faces have been in the ring at one time, getting the heels. The heels have been doing it to the faces. They've been out of the ring for more than 10 seconds. I don't even know if this is an official match at this point. Yeah. It's just a fight that Nick Patrick is present for. Yeah, I was wondering if it was like if it was a tornado rules or something like that, but no, it's just Nick Patrick just kind of threw his hands up. <laughs> Sting comes back in and clotheslines both outsiders down. He then dropkicks Nash and facebusters Hall. The Outsiders end up in opposite corners, and Nash eats a stinger splash, but Hall avoids the one intended for him. Scott Hall gets backed up into the corner. Oh, with a splash from all the way across the ring. Oh, man, he moved out of the way. And there's no Luger to help him. There's no Luger to help him right now. It doesn't look good. Luger's on the other side of the ring on his knees. He's starting to get up now. Stinger kicked to the floor with a pile of trash. And here's Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson coming up. Clearly, they saw Nick Patrick evidently throwing his hands up and letting anything happen in the ring. The horsemen come out, and what is going on? I can't get a good look at it here. With Luger and Sting down, the horsemen suddenly hit the ring. The outsiders escape through the crowd, and Patrick also disappears, and Bischoff makes it sound like the horsemen couldn't just stand there and do nothing while Patrick let anything go. 
the Horsemen, Sting, and Luger are now all in the ring together, and this alliance looks pretty uneasy, but not outright hostile to each other. In the ring, let's take a, let's take a look at this footage. Look at Sting up in the air, drives Nash right into that corner. Sting thinks he's pretty much in control right now. Look at that, you saw it right there! Nick Patrick pulled him out of the way, he did! He pulled... Nick Patrick, I didn't see it live on the replay, it is more than obvious. No, no there's no controversy. The man, the man was paid off. We then get a replay that shows that the reason Hall was able to avoid the Stinger splash was that Nick Patrick grabbed his arm and pulled him out of the way. It was done subtly enough that WCW was perhaps using the wrong camera, so it was missed live, mm -hmm. uh, or maybe this was the way they always wanted to do it, was to reveal it later in a replay. But Eric announces this as definitive proof that Patrick has been paid off. Uh-oh. As a match, this wasn't really much, but it did advance the Patrick angle and the WCW versus NWO angle. Uh, action was good enough, so I thought this was a, a nice angle to kind of close out the show. We've got a little bit more to go, but uh, Dave, what did you kind of think of this as a closing segment? Yeah, I liked it as far as just being a, it being like a brawl yeah. and not really a, a match because it doesn't really resemble a match, just kind of like right. these guys brawling with each other. And it's, it's nice to have... Hall and Nash actually wrestling on Nitro, which I believe this is their debut on Nitro as far as a match is concerned. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about the, the reason why Sting was late. That seemed a little bit weird. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think they were trying to do like they're learning from the outsiders. They're picking their spots. and But I don't know how sending one guy out to fight the outsiders by himself was like that good of a sneaky <laughs> you, <laughs> right. you know, thing to do. But yeah. I mean, I guess it kind of paid off for him. Champions is coming up this Thursday night. Ric Flair, you and the Horsemen are going to be very prominent on that card. Let's draw the guidelines of history right now. Luger and Sting. I don't like them, but I'm going to play ball with them. You know why? Because they're WCW. Now get a wide angle. Hogan, since you took it upon yourself, to walk out here and proclaim yourself the immortal one. Let me explain something about being a bad guy. The first rule of fighting is you never overmatch yourself. So Nash, you're six for 10, maybe too big for me, but I'm up trying the all pro McMichael on for size. Hall, double A's, got his name written all over you. I don't know who the fourth guy is, but the buzzsaw, the human crippler, can eat him up one side, down the other. Denver, Hogan, you and I are going to style and profile. Horseman style. That's it, ladies and gentlemen, this Thursday night in Ohio. Gene is in the aisle with the horseman. He asks Flair to talk about this Thursday. Flair says that he doesn't like Luger and Sting, but they're WCW, so he's going to work with them. Flair says the first rule of being a bad guy is to never let yourself be outmatched. He says Nash might be too big for him, but he should try Mongo on for size. And Hall won't be able to handle Arn. And whoever the fourth guy is, Benoit can handle him. Flair says on Thursday he will style and profile 
and holds up all fours. And Flair just kind of generally goes nuts as we go off the air. Right. And uh, that is the end of our show. Dave, what did you kind of think of our show overall this week? Um, Considering they have Clash of the Champions coming up in a few days, yeah. I don't feel like they did a very good job uh, getting us ready for it. Sure. I mean, we know there's Hogan and Flair, which would probably be enough for people that are thinking about tuning in to tune in. That is a huge match on free TV. Yeah. So, I mean, the fact that they reminded people of that match probably is going to do enough for what sort of ratings they're looking for. Yeah. But, um, other, I mean, other than that, uh, it seemed like we got kind of just a lot of rematches from Hogwild that weren't up to the quality of the matches in the Hogwild. So, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was, a, it was an all right show. I mean, I think, I think everyone is kind of, uh, just going through the motions until we get to Clash of the Champions because that is three shows within five days. Sure. So, yeah. Not doesn't come across to me as a very memorable one, though. I yeah, I would agree. This isn't memorable, uh, but it was it moved very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I I didn't really feel that it had that drag that sometimes a bad nitro will have. Uh, I I had fun watching it. I think the crowd went a long way towards making that happen. Yep. Um, sort of gives like uh, credence to the idea that you should be out in these sort of towns that WCW goes in that are definitely not. Um, first second or third tier cities you know they're always from like some like tuscaloosa or mm-hmm. um wherever the hell uncensored tupelo mississippi you know all these uh and it's not necessarily the south because here you've got casper wyoming and yeah this certainly gives the uh a credence to the idea that you can go to these smaller markets and as long as they've got an arena of around ten thousand people you can put on a great show with a hot crowd mm-hmm. and give give these people something that they're not uh sick of because you haven't been there two or three times a year like we see nowadays uh, with the WWE. Right. So, yeah, overall, uh, I'd say good show. Not great show, but good show. Mm-hmm. In our Raw recap, Farouk defeated Skip. Crush defeated Savio Vega. Uh, this was the re-debut of Crush, who now has his ex-con gimmick, uh, which isn't really a gimmick because he is an ex-con, but yeah. he's now one on screen, too. <laughs> the Godwins defeated T.L. Hopper and Who, who is, of course, Jim Neidhart in a mask. Yeah. As if anyone could mistake that body type for any other human being. <laughs> and Shawn Michaels defeated Owen Hart. In our ratings roundup, Raw got a 2.0, and Nitro continues their winning ways with a 3.3, a combination of a 3.2 first hour and a 3.4 second hour. Almost, they won by a lot. In our Observe This Memorial section, a memorial section. Yikes. <laughs> what happened to Big Dave? <laughs> In our observe this, uh, I, I don't really have like how that in our observe this uh, dirt sheet roundup. I don't know. We'll figure that out. I made the theme song. I just got to think of what that's called. Observe this, brother. This is what we call a rag sheet. Chris Jericho had his final match in ECW on August 3rd and put over the fans in a post-match promo. I wonder where he could be going. Hmm. uh, Speaking of future WCW roster members, Sean Stasiak gets a brief mention in the Observer this week as someone that Dave has heard has a lot of potential. Wow. How young would he have been then? Pretty, pretty young. 
pretty, pretty young. Steve Regal has upcoming tours of Europe and Japan booked with WCW's permission, and there is an idea to give him a title that he can take with him and tape matches uh, on the road as title defenses that they could then show on WCW syndicated programming like Worldwide and Pro. So we'll have to keep an eye on that and see if they throw a belt on him that he can bring on that. Yeah. Maybe the Lord of the Ring, that would be certainly <laughs> a non-prestigious non-title that yeah. would at least be something to put on the line. <laughs> By the way, Sean Stasiak was in his mid-twenties then. Wow, he's older than I he thought. He is 47. He's like a chiropractor or something now. I've seen him on Twitter a little bit. And his, he, he talks about wrestling, but his account is like, you know, Sean Stasiak, chiropractor. <laughs> so the profile all talks about that, but... So then when he tweets about wrestling, I just imagine his, like, his chiropractic clients are like, what the hell is this guy talking about? <laughs> right. <laughs> Unfollow. <laughs> Diamond Dallas Page is pitching an idea where Flair is his mysterious benefactor, and DDP will take on a new role as Ric Flair's flunky. But Ric Flair is said to be lukewarm to this idea. Dave has heard that there will be an upcoming WCW Women's Tournament for a brand new Women's Championship. Um, which promotion? WCW. Oh. So, we'll see. They've, they've got one woman, so let's see where it goes from there. <laughs> who, if you were a betting man, who would you favor in that <laughs> tournament? <laughs> I mean, it's like her Sister Sherry. Sister <laughs> Sherry might not be on the roster by the time they get to the yeah, finals. No. <laughs> <laughs> WWF is no longer going to pay stations to air their syndicated shows, and it is expected that due to this, they will lose their syndication deals in New York, Los Angeles and Chicago. Ooh. Huge opportunity for WCW to move in mm-hmm. to those markets. Uh, lastly, Meltzer reports that Duke Drozzi has quit the WWF and is headed to law school. And uh, with the benefit of my crystal ball of existing 22 years in the future, I can tell you that that may have been the dumpster's original plan, but he actually winds up as a special education teacher in Tennessee until September of 2013 when he was indicted after selling various opioids to an undercover police officer. Oh. Yeah, so he ended up uh, involved with the law, but not in the way he predicted. (laughs) Wah, wah. (laughs) Slow news week, so. (laughs) That's the end of our Observe This segment. (laughs) You always go first with Match of the Night. I feel like I put you on the spot a lot, so I'm going to go first this week. Okay. My Match of the Night it's got to be Rey Mysterio Jr. versus the ultimate Ultimo Dragon. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah, I have to I have to agree. There isn't really anything that's like, well, maybe this one. Yeah. And and that one like like I was saying during the uh recap of it, it's not as good as the one on at Hogwild, but it's still the best match of the night. So, yeah, I concur. All right, and my MVP I want to say Colonel Robert Parker for timing out that bit where he walked in the ring and stumbled backwards over <laughs> over Booker T pinning Scott Steiner because mm-hmm. that could have made a bad moment a lot worse if he hadn't at least done it correctly. Right. Uh, but I'm actually going to go with Sting and Luger who got back a little bit of the fire that they've lost. They actually kind of came across as credible and as guys that you would want to cheer as opposed to actually kind of being with the outsiders mm-hmm. in this one. Right. Um Part of that was that the Outsiders made themselves look pretty lame in that rambling promo with Hogan early on. Um, but for whatever reason, Sting and Lex, they actually worked for me this week. They haven't worked for me in a while, so I'm going with them as my co-MVPs. How about you? Uh, well, I I just, I just feel the desire to go with someone different. So I'm going to, for for his effort against Diamond Dallas Page, 
I'm gonna go with the Renegade. Hey, look at that, buddy. Yeah, hey, you're doing you're doing all right. You're there. doing great. <laughs> um, no, I I thought that he 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 showed a little bit of promise as far as maybe you know with his. I mean, I was like stunned when he did the arm drag. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I feel like Diamond Dallas Page has a habit of uh, just not looking like great yeah. with most of his opponents. Sure. Because he's still he's still learning. He's not like a seasoned veteran or anything like that. Yeah, he's just the age of one. <laughs> right. But uh no, I that like I said, um that match was surprisingly good and I just wanted to throw some credit out there to the Renegade who pretty much after he was television champion got buried and has no real reason to uh, no, he has all the reason to just kind of like not put any effort into it. Right. But right. I thought that I thought he did a really good match uh Really good job, so I'll give that to the Renegade. All right. Well, who is going to be next time? Uh, Joe Gomez? Uh, One can only hope. <laughs> believe, we'll find out. Believe me, if I if he gives me the opportunity to give it to him, I'll be more than happy. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got only three days in kayfabe time before Clash of the Champions 33. That won't be that much longer before we see you right back here where the big boys play. 20 years of Nitro. I don't think they're working on uh, common sense or, or logic no, here, Larry. It's they're emotion. working on emotion. It's emotion. It's the same thing that runs womanhood. And we all know what happens.